Real Life Diabetes Podcast 18 with Amy McKinnon at VegAmy is up next. Today's episode, we're venturing into a topic that touches our collective soul. Well, Amber's soul when she's not eating Gouda with her wine. Okay. <laughs> what the hell, man? We're, we're talking about vegan. Okay, plant-based. Okay, it has a little bit less of a stereotype, but whatever. Okay, going vegan as a person with type 1 diabetes and what that's like. Okay, I didn't mean to offend you in the intro. Right. I was just mentioning the Gouda. You just, you eat, hey. Yeah. Hey, I love cheese. Hey, you eat very healthy. Feel free to send me some. <laughs> I do eat very healthy. All you have to do is reach out to the email and we'll give you her address. <laughs> All right. So Amy joined us today. Uh, she was our guest and she's got a heck of a story. She's an Aussie by birth, uh, held from New York City for the last few years, uh, but is currently right in the middle of an eight-month adventure across Central America. It's quite the conquest. I know she's been in Mexico, Ecuador, Cuba. Cuba. Um, mm. She's got some interesting things to say about all those places and what it's like to eat and get sick and deal with some serious illness. But she's made it through and she's doing some cool stuff. Uh, she's a budding ultra runner and she's the co-founder of OneBloodyDrop.com, a group of type ones who are running 40 half marathons apiece to raise awareness for type one diabetes. Crazy time. Crazy. <laughs> so cool. So I hope you guys enjoy today. Uh, but before that, we're going to get into some announcements. It's springtime. Spring break is in the air. And uh, so is consumerism. So if buying stuff is your thing, which, you know, we all got to buy stuff. We have to, right? Okay, please do it through our Amazon link on the right side of diabetesdailygrind.com. And they'll kick us back a few cents to help the podcast episodes come back. It doesn't cost you anything else. So if we say something that has you thinking during any episode, really, what were they even talking about? Especially today, go to our website, record your question on the speak pipe button, and we'll answer it in the next episode because we're trying to roll out a new Ask Us Any epi- Ask Us Anything episode sometime in the spring. We're starting to collect some some questions. When we have five questions, we're going to roll out a new show. And there are no wrong or right ones on that too. So feel free to ask us anything, and we will most likely answer it. Yeah, the the farther the question goes, the better. <laughs> <laughs> I may <laughs> encourage you. I'm going to script some to ask Ryan, but go that's ahead. not a requirement. That's not a requirement. <laughs> All right, Amber and I, along with other folks with the disease, uh, we publish articles a couple times a week on our own. Uh, they're unique. They're, in, they're our interpretation of the real diabetes life. And if you're unfamiliar with what Amber and I do on a daily basis, we're uh, <laughs> what the, do we do? The, the, the co-founders for DiabetesDailyGrind.com. It's our website. We also have other contributors that, that publish their own takes on the real diabetes life too. Um, so if you're looking to find other things to read, educate, what we try to inspire. Check it out. We, we publish anywhere between two to three articles a week. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Check it out. DiabetesDailyGrind.com. And we're always looking for guest bloggers, so guest writers. So if you're interested in writing, shoot us a, a message on any of the social media outlets or an email or a speak pipe message to say, hey, I'm interested. Here's what I'd like to talk about. And we're excited for all the guest bloggers that we have currently from all over the world. Oh, yeah, no doubt. If they're interested, uh, you just go up to the top of the screen on DiabetesDailyGrind.com and click the contact tab. And all the information's there, right? Yep. 
believe so. Okay, that's enough with the announcements. Let's get into this show with Amy. Enjoy, everyone. Is it diabetes or diabetes? Oh, yeah, international. Hello? Hey, Amy, it's Ryan. Hi, how are you? Hello. <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. I, I can hear you okay. Can you hear me okay? Can... Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, we can, we can hear you. Yeah. I feel kind of like a creepy stalker because I'm staring at your Instagram page. And um, <laughs> yeah, whatever you had yesterday for lunch looks amazing. I guess it was lunch. It was set a day ago. So. Yeah, yeah, generally lunch photos. If I if I can take a good photo, I'll put it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I have to say right off the bat, if Ryan will give me just one second. So um, I literally on uh, Facebook, one of the memories popped in and from four years ago. And four years ago today, I was eating crab legs in Sydney, Australia and um, missed my time there so incredibly. And so you are you from Sydney? Yeah, I'm from Sydney. I grew up there and then I lived in New York for the past two and a half years and then I quit my job in August and have been traveling. So yeah, I love Sydney. How long were yeah. you there for? Um, I traveled throughout New South Wales and was there for a little over a month. Okay. So I went into some small towns, really small towns. So here's the thing, Amy. She talks about it so much. She talks about it so much. I feel like she lived there for a decade. You know? I was. That's a good thing. Talk about it. I, I try to convince everyone oh, yeah. who I speak to to go to Australia. Like, you need to go. It's beautiful. You, it, it changed my life. That there's no doubt. It's like, it, it was. It took me down a notch. I was really stressed out, and yeah, you guys oh, good, got a good, good way of living. And then. Yeah. <laughs> I d- definitely never never met a person that wasn't really likable from Australia. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Mm. I've met a few. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> All right, so where, okay, what, what country are you in right now, and how long have you been there? Um, I'm currently in Ecuador. I'm just in Quito, which is the capital, and I've been here five days, so just under a week and I'm going to be here for another four or five days I think before I continue traveling through Ecuador till the end of the month who are you traveling by yourself yep mostly by myself in I started my trip with a friend only for a couple of weeks and then I've been traveling pretty much on my own I have a friend who lives in Mexico City who I stayed with um, and I've been making some friends along the way through running. Running really helps to make friends like other runners in other cities. Um, so yeah, I've been making a couple of friends on the way, but I'm mostly traveling on my own. Oh, that's awesome. That That is so cool. So whenever you're running down the street in Ecuador, um, anywhere else you've been, we'll have to have you tell us where you've been recently too. Do, do you see somebody across the street and, and you guys just make eye contact and you're like, Hey, you're a runner. I'm a runner. <laughs> I don't look like you. Let's talk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. I will smile at other runners on the street, but I don't know. I haven't, I just, most of them I've met through like the Nike run clubs in each of the countries, oh, most yeah. big mm-hmm. cities. 
anywhere in the world. That's why we have a Nike Run Club. Um, also through like Instagram. I find Instagram very helpful um, with like mm-hmm. connecting with other runners or other people who, like vegan people as well, that helps. <laughs> um, so I've, yeah, I've run like, I've pretty much run in every city I've been to. Some are a bit more difficult because it's not very common in some parts of Latin America for women especially right. to run run outside but I've like oh. tried to compensate with <laughs> right. the gym so that that's always oh, yeah. useful well and for those of those of you listening that are not familiar with Veg Amy on her Instagram I'm staring at what you're talking about the uh the Nike run thing and it said you went 5.7 miles a couple of days ago and it's really really cool and I like the um the photograph with it kind of what letting us see what you were seeing while running. It's great. Yeah, that run yeah, was which, actually... Which app like, is that? That run was actually um, in a park. It's like the biggest city park in the world. Oh, cool. And it's like in Quito. Oh, and wow. like we just, I just did a trail run with, with one of the Nike guys who I've been running with. And that was really cool. It was like early in the morning... It was still foggy. It looked kind of like a mystical forest. So it was very fun. Oh, very yeah. Fun. It's beautiful. Oh. You know, Amber and I are so pumped to have you on. Just to talk about diet, talk about uh, type 1, vegan, plant-based, running. I mean, there's definitely a lot of... There's just so many things we can talk about. But I was trying to think about when we uh, came in contact with each other. Was it through Instagram, maybe? I think through Instagram. I don't remember exactly, but I think it must have been. Or through your website, even, maybe. I might have emailed you about... I think I emailed you about writing something after my after the New York City Marathon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we talked... Yeah, I think we talked about that, and then I quickly got into the diet things. Maybe found some kind of like hashtag right. type one vegan <laughs> thing out there. You made Ryan's yeah. life. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Having somebody else that has similar interests. I mean, it's, I mean, really, when you put that combination together, vegan, runner, type 1 diabetes, there aren't, I'm willing to bet, too terribly many people out there that can share all those, which is, is wonderful. It sounds like your network is growing in that regard, Amy. Like you've connected yeah. with some people that share that plant based lifestyle. So we'll have to have you give us the download on all of those people too. And especially the one bloody drop, um, because it looks like some of those same people are also plant-based. So yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that. Um, we'll get into a that a little, little bit later, sure. but yeah, they are all plant-based <laughs> and type one. I somehow right, so- attract them to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's contagious. It's we, whenever you make that plant-based, um, when you make that plant-based switch, you become an evangelical person almost in regards yeah. to being, yeah. Well, yeah. there's so many jokes out there right now too. It's like, it's, oh, I can't remember. Uh, but anybody that's a vegan, it's like everybody, it's everybody knows because you announce it constantly. And I'm like, that's not necessarily fair. I mean, if you're out to dinner with somebody and they're vegan, you're definitely going to notice their dietary choices a little bit differently. So. Yeah. I, I get cracked it's, up at the jokes. I will, I will admit it, though. It is a little bit true. The other day on a tour, they said, oh, is it's... anyone vegetarian? And I was like, yes, I'm vegan. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, no, I'm one of those people. 
<laughs> oh no, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so take us back over the last couple of months as as far as where you've been, how the trip's been going, um, how much of your trip you still have left. Yeah, just tell us about the trip. Sure. So I technically, so I was living and working in New York and I finished my job at the end of August and I stayed an extra month in New York just to like soak up everything there and spend all my money as well. <laughs> for that yeah, month. And then New York I, is not cheap. <laughs> yes, it's very expensive. Um, and then I went to Costa Rica for nearly a month and then I came back to New York to run in the New York Marathon um, on November 1st. So I was back in New York for a couple of weeks, like I think a week before the marathon, and then I ran... And then another week to kind of recover. And my friend from Australia came over to like support me. And then he also came to the start of my trip in Mexico with me. So he was there for two weeks. And we kind of did the Yucatan coast in Mexico. And then he left me in Mexico City where I have a friend as well conveniently. And I traveled. I kind of hopped in and out of Mexico a little bit. I went to Belize. Then I went to Cuba, which was a little bit of a traumatic experience um, with no access to money because um, my credit cards, even my Australian credit cards, didn't work over there. And I got food poisoning. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Were you walking yeah. around the streets just picking bananas, like out of trees? <laughs> they don't have bananas. They have no fruit. And I feel like that's why I got food poisoning. I think like the only vegan-friendly oh. food they had was bread and rice. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> was, a lot of carbs. It was like, food there was, it was a beautiful country. And from the one week that I was there, like, it's the culture and the people are nice and they were friendly and willing to help out. But the food, they're a little bit behind in a few things and the food is one thing. Um which was oh, a real struggle. And then I got food poisoning on my last day there. And all I could think of was just get on the airplane and you get back to Mexico. <laughs> and you will be fine. Um, so I did. And I went back to Mexico um, where I stayed for another month. And I went to Chiapas, which is um, one of the biggest states in Mexico, also one of the poorest and that was really insightful into like living like a real Mexican and getting immersed in their culture. I stayed with a Mexican family in Tuxtla, which is like the capital. And we traveled around. Um, the son is like a similar age to me, a little bit younger. And he like took us on adventures to waterfalls, to Palenque, which has these old Mayan ruins. And it was like such an incredible month there. Um, and then from Mexico, I caught a bus to Guatemala where I went to Spanish school, which was fun, hard, but fun, but my Spanish <laughs> is cool. slowly improving. And I also had the fun of getting a parasite in Guatemala. So I was a little sick there and that didn't help with my blood glucose levels. They were a little bit crazy during oh, that yeah. time. Well I have yeah. to s s just throw in something really quick because I know that, well, 
for the, uh, I can only speak on behalf of myself, but it, the people in my circles or whatever, when everybody goes to Mexico, they're usually at a resort and it's, and everyone's still nervous about drinking bottled water or eating salad and other things because they're fearful of getting a stomach virus. But not only have you had food poisoning, now you've had a parasite. And it's always a different layer of complication, I feel like, for somebody with diabetes. So in another country to where you're learning the language, you're sick. I mean, how did you get through that? It was a little tough. So the food poisoning was okay because I just kind of drank a lot of water and it went away within a few days, like kind of like a stomach bug. The parasite, yeah. at first I, I had thought that I was just sick again with a stomach bug. So I didn't really, I wasn't proactive in treating it. So I didn't go to a doctor um, and finding an English speaking doctor in some of these remote areas is a bit of a yeah. challenge. So I went with my Spanish teacher. She actually ended up taking me to the doctor. I got some antibiotics. I did some research because he did um, a test of my from my intestines to see what type of parasite it was. And he gave me antibiotics and I did some research and they were actually the wrong antibiotics for the parasite that I had. Oh, wow. So then I, I went back to, I didn't go back to the doctor because in Latin America you don't need a prescription to go to the pharmacy. So I just oh, went yeah. back to the oh, pharmacy. <laughs> Bonus. One of the benefits. So that was like an easy, no questions asked when I went back and I had to get two other antibiotics. So I was on antibiotics for around 20 days. Luckily, the antibiotics, strangely, didn't affect my blood glucose levels. The Thank goodness, that was my next question, I, yeah. I know, I don't know why, because I was ready for like 20 days of horrific blood glucose levels. Um, mm -hmm. And surprisingly, they were okay, and I wasn't exercising because I was sick. I was eating very plain foods, like a lot of rice, oatmeal, bananas. Um, my like insulin to carb ratio went down. Um, but mm. because I wasn't as sense. active, okay. but yeah. I wasn't having extreme hunger, which I was very grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As the, as the medical student nerd, I'm curious what the parasite was. Uh, it's called Ambias, A-N-E-D-A-S. And it's like a parasite that uh -huh. you basically get from having contact with um, infected water, which I think, like contaminated okay, yeah. water, which I think was, it was my own mistake. I bought lettuce from the market, which obviously had been washed yeah. in dirty, and I didn't wash it. I just ate it, and I'm never going to make that mistake again. <laughs> hey, that's a mistake that I would make too, Amy. Not me. Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, no, I'm, I'm the safe one. But I, I was just too confident. I had been eating lettuce in Mexico, and I hadn't been getting sick. And I honestly, it didn't even really cross my mind that oh, maybe the lettuce is going to be washed in dirty water. I just thought, oh, I'm fine. Oh yeah, it's going to be the same everywhere. Right. And unfortunately, no. <laughs> wow. But, wow. Okay, you got to tell us about the food experience beside besides the whole food poisoning and parasite thing. What's the food been like? How much fruit are you eating? Like, mm. yeah, what what's it like? It's a little bit tough. So, like, if I eat at home, so generally breakfast is good. I'll eat, like, oatmeal, I'll eat fruit. There's, like, amazing tropical fruit here, like dragon fruit, 
any melon that you want, star awesome. fruit, other fruits which I can't even pronounce the name of. So like the fruit here <laughs> is incredible. The problem is if I cook at home, like I was now I'm starting to, like I, I used to eat a lot of salads when I was living in New York. Now I'm moving more towards steamed vegetables. So I'm trying to cook mm. pretty much everything. I'll eat a salad if I go to like a decent restaurant and I know that they're mm. going to wash it in clean water. Eating out is a challenge. <laughs> I've eaten so many bad meals and they really love to cook everything in oil and salt, oh, which yeah. I don't normally cook and my body is just not used to that. So it's been... Oh, I've been yeah. a little bit more flexible with my eating, like not as strict. Like if I, they even cook rice in oil. Like I'm like, why can't you just steam the rice? Yeah. <laughs> why does it have to be cooked in oil? <laughs> but, but it has like impacted my sugar levels. Like whenever I eat a meal out, um, I'll know to like change. Like I'll give a little bit of insulin up front, wait say two to three hours and then give the rest of my dose because I know the fat is going to delay the rise in my blood glucose levels. So it's still a little bit of a like tricky game. I did that today and then I had a low because I overdosed. So it's a bit of a (laughs) day-to-day, depending on what I eat, a little bit of a guessing game sometimes, especially if I eat out at a restaurant or somewhere else. Well, and I think that comes with travel in general, like sometimes, and Ryan and I were talking about this before we gave you a, a ring. Um, it, w- you're eating foods that are foreign to you and you have no idea the carb count, like star fruit and things like that. Yeah. I've had it. I mean, it gr- it's great, but it's not going to be in any of the carb books or online necessarily. So how are you, yeah, how, how is the guessing game? Like wh- what do you base it on, especially when you're trying new fruits? I don't know um, if there is a system to your mind. Go ahead. So I, I use an app called Chronometer, which is actually has most fruit. And I do take a guess. Like, I don't have scales, so I can't weigh, like, 100 grams of fruit. So I generally take a guess, and my insulin... So, like, bananas are easy. I know off my heart, generally, medium bananas, 25 grams. With the other fruits, which are a bit stranger, mm-hmm. I'll try to Google and I'll try to find a rough estimate. And honestly, I just ballpark it. And that does yeah. mean I have more of, like, a, a little bit more of a roller coaster than when I was eating, like, my proper diet and my, like, more, like, foods that I was familiar with the carbs. So I do have more lows than I'm used to, and I do have more highs. I try to – my goal is to keep my highs below 180. I still get a few over that, but I'm slowly getting – since I've been, like, recovering over the past couple of weeks, I've been getting that in a closer range to try not to get the random highs from eating strange foods, which I still get occasionally, but I just have to – not let it stress me out as much with it. Oh, for sure. You got to live life and control. shit happens. Yeah. You know, whenever those crazy diabetes things happen or something unexpected happens to your blood sugar to us when we're at home and you're actually at your home, you're like, yeah, this, this totally sucks. But whenever you're like in Mexico or somewhere gorgeous and it happens, you could just look out at the ocean and be like, hey, you know, hey, it's going to come down. <laughs> yeah. It's going to work out later. <laughs> things will work out. That helps. 
definitely helps. And you know, like you can hear, like if I have a high blood glucose level, I'll just go out for a walk or I'll know, like you said, like I, I know that it's something which is like harder for me to control. Like I underestimated how many carbs are in my lunch or I overestimated my breakfast. So I just kind of take it by each scenario and go, okay, I need to fix this high or I need to eat a couple of dates to fix my low. Like I try not to, like you said, let it stress me as much as if I was at home in New York and I had a 300, I'd be pretty angry at myself. (laughs) Right, right. Well, what is your, um, we, we, we talk about this often, like, your blood sugar goal. And I'd be curious too. um, like for me, it's 110 and that's where I feel my best. Have you found a comfortable place with your blood sugar? Yeah, I can go probably around low as 85. If I drop below 85, I start to get a little bit tired. Um, I try to keep it between 85 and 120. Um, yeah. That's my ideal goal. It doesn't mean it happens right. all the time, but that's what I like work towards on like a daily basis. But yeah, it really, really depends. If I eat a high fat meal um, for dinner, for example, I will generally wake up high just because it's such a delayed effect. Mm. Um, so I know some things that'll like affect my sugar levels. Like even sometimes I'll wake up at midnight, give myself two units of Nova Rapid. And then go back to sleep because I know that it's going to creep up overnight and I'm trying to, like, catch catch the high before it happens. Um, so I do have some preventative measures based on, like, the changing of right. See, that is such an interesting observation. You know, since we initially had, like, our first, like, Instagram exchange of messages, you were talking about the oil and how it raises your blood sugar. And so I started watching it. And, yeah, at nighttime, if I eat a meal that has, say, like quinoa and vegetables in it with a little bit of protein, but I don't add any oil to it, I don't get that big high overnight. But if I add the oil in it, I almost can't stop the high from happening overnight. That's interesting. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, how long yeah. did it take you to figure that out? Um, It was only really on this trip because before I wasn't, cooking in oil, if I ate out at restaurants, like in New York, you can easily get a salad. Like you don't, there's a lot of healthier options. And so since this trip, especially in Mexico, where everything is fried, like it's the worst (laughs) diet possible that I've ever seen in the world. That's when I noticed and I was like, why am I waking up on 250 plus, sometimes 300? And I was like, it's because I'm eating these foods. So I would set my alarm for midnight. I'd set my alarm for 3 a.m. Generally, midnight, I'd still be in, like, a good range around 120. By 3 a.m., it would have, mm. it could have gone up by 50 points, even more. So Interesting. I started to kind of experiment on my own, which I like to do, um, and just give two or three units. Depending, the more fat that I eat in a meal, I can, at one stage, I had to give, like, five units just during the night with no food to like oh, wow. stop me being high in the morning. So it's just really an experiment which I tried and it seems to work for me. Generally two to three units if I eat something cooked in oil will keep me from raving by the time I wake up at seven AM. But that's just 
me playing around. I'd be curious too, as a female, like where you are in your cycle with all of that, because I know that blood sugars rise considerably overnight during different times. And so I, I, I'd be, I wonder, like, I know that's not a controlled experiment, but if you were to do that for a month straight, like just to document it, I, 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 that just seemed, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to ask there, but I can't well, imagine I know that- after just a, cause I eat oil at night a lot. Well, cause I'll have salad or whatever, but never thought that yeah. would affect my blood sugar. Well, for hmm. me, I, oh. I noticed too that um, when I had a, I had like a few days where I just was eating very, very low fat, like less than 20 grams of fat a day, and I would wake up and sometimes my sugar levels would be low. So like I noticed dramatically mm-hmm. the difference between when I was having very little fat in my diet, like I wouldn't have those morning highs or any peak overnight compared to when I was eating food containing more fat so that was like really eye-opening for me so I'm trying to Mm -hmm. limit my especially at dinner time limit any meals with high fat that's good to know and I looked into this a little bit in class to see if I could figure out why the fat was causing you know decreased insulin sensitivity or or more insulin so it looks like you know as soon as you eat fat it goes through your gut gets absorbed in your bloodstream, goes to the liver, gets packaged on to those cholesterol carrier molecules like LDL, okay, or VLDL, and then it goes through your blood, and insulin is actually responsible for yanking the fat off of those and then pulling it into the cells. And so that process wouldn't even start happening, you know, until, you know, several hours later. Um, yeah, that's think. So why... that might be one explanation for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why the highest delay, that's why, like, generally people will see, like, one hour, even sometimes two hours after they eat a meal, they're like, oh, my blood sugar's 120, it's fine. And then once it's, like, three hours or four hours after they eat their meal, they're like, why, how is it all of a sudden 300? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And like you said, it's because it's such a delayed process within the body because it has to go all the way down to the intestines. Um, you can explain it a lot more scientifically than I can, but yeah, it totally <laughs> no. makes sense once, no. you, once you know that. Well, just out of curiosity, so you're traveling, you're eating new foods, you've been, I'm not going to say, you, you've been unable to exercise like you normally would. Um, you know, all of those factors are huge in controlling your blood sugar. So do you feel... Like you've, I don't know what the word is, um, you found your groove now, I mean, like, because you're going to continue traveling for a while. Do you feel like your diabetes is a hindrance at this point or do you feel like it's just an everyday normal battle? And It's a part she, of traveling. It's a part of traveling, right. Yeah, it's a part of traveling which I've come to accept a little bit more when I started on my trip. I'll get a lot more frustrated with high blood glucose levels. Um, I know my A1C will not be as good as <laughs> my last one, um, but I'm willing to accept <laughs> right. that because I know it's, it's only temporary. I've got a roughly three months left of travel, um, maybe a little bit more, but I know like once I get back to my routine, once I get back to like eating the food, which I know the carb content and I know the fat content of, that I can just get straight back into my routine and hopefully straight back into a lot tighter control. And I think travel 
like you said, you have to accept that it's not going to be perfect because you've got so many different aspects coming in and changing. Like you, you don't have a routine. You're one day you're really right. active, the other the next day you're tired, so you have a quiet day. You're eating different foods. It's just like a whole. You're dehydrated. You yeah, yeah. So you, it's like <laughs> yep. a whole, whole lot of different variables, which a lot of them are out of your control. And if you want to enjoy your time, you can't let it stress you as much as it normally would in your daily routine. Mm. This is a good point. Yeah, I love that attitude because if you went into it with the idea of let's let's keep my A1C where it's at because I really care about this A1C number, you've kind of let go of the clinging to that. You're like, hey, this is an experience. I'm going to go soak it up. But because I already have some pretty good habits, you know, my blood sugar is probably going to be okay most of the time. And I, I really like that's a that's a good attitude. Yeah, it took me a little while <laughs> to get there, but I like you don't really have a choice because. Especially when I was sick and I had, when I first got the parasite before I started taking medication, my sugar levels wouldn't come below mm-hmm. 200. And I was feeling horrible. <sighs> I was angry. I was stressed. And then I was like, like, Amy, like, you can't do anything bad. And once I went to the doctor, I kind of accepted that the antibiotics were going to keep my sugar levels elevated. So I kind of had to change my mindset and didn't really have a choice. Um, and it's definitely helped. I'm not stressed anymore. I just deal with what comes with my diabetes and, like you said, try to keep it in range as much as possible and do my best. Well, I love That's that. all you can do. That's all you can do. All right, so to get back to this, this whole genesis of going plant-based, vegan, where did it all start? You know, because everybody has a starting point. Um, yeah, where did your journey start with that, that choice? So it was actually when I was living in Sydney, kind of right before I moved to New York, and I watched with a friend the documentary Forks Over Knives, which is very popular. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that here in a second. Keep going. (laughs) And that literally, I don't know why. Yeah, so that literally... (laughs) just pushed a button in my brain and I was like, I have to do this. I was like, all this evidence. I was just so like amazed at like the impact that it had on people's health, like reversing heart disease, people who had cancer. And I was like, oh my God, this is the way. And I didn't eat a lot of red meat. I ate like a lot of fish and cheese. They were like my two big things um, that were animal-based products. So... I will admit, giving up sushi uh, was very hard, and giving up cheese was oh also very God. hard. I'm cheese. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, Amy, I have made the comment, and I'm not kidding. I would give up red wine before I could give up cheese. Like I, uh, I, I gotta say, because I, I feel like I've led a very similar path, and I gave up red meat and pork when I was probably 13 or 14, and oh, wow. never yeah. looked back. And so I have been strictly like white meat, chicken, love fish, all things from the sea, not from freshwater, and have kept that. And it's been, you know, my friends made fun of me, a restricted diet by choice. And then a couple of months ago, because I got gluttonous and watching all those movies, documentaries, I should say, not just movies, Forks Over Knives. You were, that, on, you were on a documentary bender. Oh, my God. That sugar <laughs> film changed my life. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Oh, now yes. I'm going to have to cut out yogurt, which I haven't yet. But 
So I'm there with you on all of that. I'm just like, so I got to tell you in the past, I think six weeks, I have slowly taken out meat from my diet with the exception of fish and cheese. (laughs) And now like, uh, I need, I need like some serious moral support. I don't know that I want to be a vegan, but I could, damn. I applaud you. I've read studies that show uh, that cheese I know. has addictive components so I'm totally with you but it's worth it now <laughs> I look at cheese or I look at fish and I have no desire I'm not disgusted by it but I have no desire right. to eat it and it really even just going vegan where I still ate bread I still ate right like, yep take out like vegan burgers I guess I was I wasn't eating the healthiest vegan diet. It still changed my right. diabetes management. I lost weight. I felt better. And then as I like educated myself more, I loved reading journals or clinical papers. I'm a little bit of a nerd like right. that. And watching more documentaries, I slowly started to clean up my diet even more and eat less processed food. The m- less processed food I eat the better my diabetes control is and mm. everything oh, sure. changes. Like I feel better. I run faster. Like it's incredible. Like I've even noticed since I've been traveling, like probably a few things affected, but I've been running a little bit slower and I feel a little bit more sluggish when I exercise. And I would totally attribute that to my diet not being on point. And you can oh. really feel the difference. Oh yeah. Mm. It does seem like it's all one big cycle. You know, because if you're eating clean, you're eating fresh, you're eating a whole bunch of whole foods, you sleep better at night, then you wake up the next mm-hmm. morning and you feel better. So you don't feel like you have to eat um, an unhealthier breakfast. You can, again, get right back on the train and eat, and then you feel better to exercise at lunch. You don't feel like sitting in your office, and it just continues to cycle and cycle mm-hmm. and cycle. It's like once you feel it just a little bit, like how much better you feel when you eat more fruits and vegetables, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to do this. And then you start reading yeah, it's 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 amazing. It sounds like you've uh, been on a heck of a journey. When did it start, that process? Um, yeah, how long ago? Two, how many... two and a half years ago. So when I moved to New York, I was like, I kind of set myself some goals. I was like, totally Good vegan. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm not going <laughs> to party. <laughs> In Sydney, I had like a huge group of friends that I grew up with and we'd all go out from university. So it was very... It was great. It was lots of fun. But when I moved to New York, I was really focused on my running and I really wanted to, that was like a big motivator to like especially stop drinking and not being hungover on the weekend so I could go for early morning runs and eating better. I just felt better. So I kind of continued that and it was just like a flow and effect on every aspect of my life. Wow. That's yeah. a, that's a, those are huge lifestyle choices. Huge choices. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. great. I mean, you're an inspiration, I'm sure, to a lot of people. And I have to say, just because we received a message today, randomly, on the website um, from, I'm assuming it's a female, um, but it was a, about how Ryan wrote a post a while ago about how going vegan changed his type one life. And one of the things that she says in here is that I'm... Um, she had watched for her forks over knives and this whole conversation about going vegan, etc. She said, it's been so successful for you. And just reading the conversations uh, uh, and comments here, it seems many other people too. So what do I do? 
I want to just try at least becoming vegetarian, but where do I start? So with that, because we haven't responded to this person yet, what, what pieces of advice would you have for somebody that's looking to transition? Is it jump off the cliff or put your toe in the water and see how it goes? To me, I would say just go for it. Like if you're really committed, go for it. The big mistake, which I even made initially, and I think a lot of people do, is they think, oh, okay, I'll just cut out animal products. That's fine. But like I did, I still ate vegan burgers. I still ate French fries. And you're not really getting the nutrition. So you're tired. You have no energy. For about three months, I was always tired. I was eating a lot of vegan protein powder thinking, oh, I need more protein. I need more protein. And it really wasn't that. I wasn't eating a lot of greens. I wasn't eating a variety of vegetables. So it's like the more more variety of foods, you can still occasionally eat French fries and the the vegan burger is not going to kill you. But I think, like, you've got to make sure that you get your vegetables. Vitamin B12 is the only supplement I take, and I think that's essential. And make sure you're eating enough food because when you're vegan, most of the food is low-calorie, like a salad is going to be two or 300 calories. So if you're only eating a salad and some fruits for breakfast and then maybe another salad for dinner, you're not getting anywhere near enough calories. You've got to add some rice or oatmeal, Grains are good. Like grains are not bad for you as long as they're not processed, like pasta Agreed. or bread. Right. Are you big on um, oh, seasonal? Great advice. Well, like when you're talking about veggies, a lot of people are. Well, you of course in this gluttonous amount of reading that I'm sure that we've all done, they say to eat seasonal vegetables because that's what your body needs during that time of the year. So, do you follow that as well, or? Just the more Not veggies, the better. Really, I like. I did in New York. I would go to the farmers markets and buy what they had. Obviously, I would still yeah. buy bananas, which are imported because I can't live without them. Um, <laughs> right. I would just generally eat what my body's craving, and sometimes, like at the moment, I love sweet peppers. Like I cannot get enough sweet peppers, and I bought some tomatoes <laughs> the other day, and. I don't really feel like them, so they're still sitting in the fridge. So, like, I feel like your body craves different foods, and people probably think I'm crazy that I crave sweet pepper. Um, but I still <laughs> yeah. listen no. to your body. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, like, if you want to follow seasonal vegetables, that's fine, as long as you're not only eating potatoes in winter because then you're not going to be getting enough nutrition. <laughs> You've got to make sure. Right. <laughs> that you're still getting other vegetables and dark leafy grains as much as people think, oh, kale's just a fad or spinach, they are the best. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're really good. I love kale. I don't know if you feel the same way, Amy, but if I go more than a couple of days without having a dark leafy green like chard or kale or spinach or mustard greens or something like that, if I go a couple of days without that, I, I don't feel as good. I've been nearly three months. Like, kale doesn't exist if you have in America. And spinach is, like, <laughs> for royalty. It's so expensive from the supermarket. Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. It's not grown over here. It's mostly, like, like root vegetables and tropical fruits. Mm-hmm. Like, anything, lots okay. of fruit and vegetables, surprisingly, are imported. And then that's when it goes oh, wow. to, like, very expensive. Um 
So that's a privilege that I don't have at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Soon enough, you will be back to your regular schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do you have any... Um, so there was a cookbook that I purchased a while ago. I just happened to see it and loved the cover of it. I was in San Antonio and then ordered it later um, on our Amazon link. Just throwing that in there. And it's um, Oshi Glows, I think. And it's a vegan cookbook. So did when you jumped into this lifestyle, was there any cookbooks or literature that you felt were beneficial? Yes. The one which is like godsend is Book Over Knives Cookbook. That is also okay. um, called, well, Esselton. He's like the cardiologist who treats his patients with a plant-based diet. He has a cookbook too. Um, and also Dr. T. Colin Campbell, he has brought out a cookbook, which I think his wife wrote. Um, and those three are all unprocessed, low-fat, low-salt, high unrefined carbohydrate meals, but they're delicious and generally easy to cook. Like a lot of the books, I find Oshi Glows and ones similar to that are beautiful books and they're beautifully presented, but personally, I couldn't cook half the meals and a lot of them seem like sugar. I've had that same problem too. (laughs) And I'm like, I There were some spices and things in there that it's, it it was a lot and it took me about four hours (laughs) to make one of the meals it was delicious but <laughs> it was a huge it was, a, it was a culinary expedition to say the least and we'll be sure to include all of these books in our show notes so people that are interested can uh, definitely check them out and thank you for sharing that yeah the um the fancy ones like i i used a couple so like i hosted a thanksgiving um and christmas in my apartment right. in new york yeah. and i used some of these fancier books because they had great vegan cornbread and vegan stuffing but like you said it's a lot of effort to cook like four hours to me I'm like it's not worth it I'm okay like I'm never going to use half these ingredients again which I have to go to a specialty store to buy I'm like it's just too hard but I think like someone who has the time or is really passionate like I enjoy cooking definitely but I'm not not one of my passions like, these books are great, and you can modify the ingredients. If you want less sugar or you want less salt, you can just change that up. Right. It's not too difficult. Um, but for me, personally, I just prefer the simple, healthy options, which I don't have to think really about. Just buy the ingredients from the grocery store, whip up a right. dish, and it's done and ready in half an hour. Yeah, that's the way to go. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. There's that book by Rip Esselstyn. Um, I think it's Caldwell's Son, you know, the Engine 2 diet. And I, I pull yeah. recipes from that one and use it a lot because it's hearty. It's like lasagna, burritos, and it's really simple ingredients. And I'm always full afterwards. So when I first made the switch, I thought those were the only recipes that I could eat where I felt like I was like really content and satisfied, you know. So I, I feel like yeah. I get what you're saying in regards. <laughs> you got, after a workout, you need something that's going to really fill you up. And that book helped. Oh, yeah. Well, and Amy, I don't think we ever touched on this. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 12. It was in 2000, 12. so 15 years ago nearly, which makes me sound really old. But, yeah, I was just Shh. becoming Come a on, teenager, I just turned 40. Take it. Take it down a notch. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I was the, yeah, I think that, yeah. <laughs> I've had diabetes for 32 years. It's, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, okay. 
I'm a spring chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are definitely a spring chicken. Um, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off on that part. <laughs> hey, I was going to ask you how your your insulin needs have changed since you made the switch to the mm, diet. Good call. So if I'm eating, so I was roughly, I would say on a, before I was vegan, I was probably on a one to six insulin to carb ratio, just roughly off the top of my head, thinking back, okay. but my diet was horrible. Um, I was eating <laughs> the standard American diet. Then I turned vegan and it probably <laughs> went to around one to 15 roughly. So it changed dramatically just taking out animal products. And then when I went low fat, high carbohydrate, my breakfast was sitting at one to 30 Lunch was about 1 to 25, and dinner was in the maybe 1 to 27, kind of in between the two. Oh, that's um, at the moment, crazy. it's gone down a little bit to around 1 to 15, 1 to 20, just because I'm not eating half as many vegetables and fruit. But mm. it was really like I was eating five to 600 grams of carbohydrates a day. I was training for a marathon as well, which obviously helps, but I was only taking 17 right. to 20 units of insulin, which to some people, they're like, how is that even possible? And I'm like, take out the fat and you will see miracles. <laughs> I mean, 17 to 20 units of insulin. I mean, that for for just a normal person, that could end up being like breakfast. You know, that could be like yeah. a breakfast bowl. Um, Seventeen yes, to twenty I know, units. And I think that's you know? crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I just think it's it's astounding because I don't know about you, but I never had heard about this being a possibility for how to eat with the disease. No, I had the first that I really learned about the true like low fat, high carb, plant based diet was like through two people. Um, on Instagram. So one, I'm not sure if you know these people, but Mindful Diabetic Robbie, he lives in California and he's been doing mm-hmm. it for I think like five years and he's totally raw, eats mostly fruit with some vegetables in there um, and his insulin to carb ratio is like 1 to 45, something ridiculous like that. Oh um, my God. That is nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think so I've seen him eat an entire watermelon before or something like that. It's like he barely yeah, he has, has diabetes. I mean, channel. I know that doesn't really. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then the similar person, and they work together, um, Robbie and Cyrus. And he's like got a company called Mango Man Nutrition, and he follows raw vegan diet as well. And I think he's been doing it for like forever. And he, they both exercise a lot, which exercise dramatically impacts your blood glucose level and your insulin sensitivity. There's no denying that. The uh, diet yeah, with the exercise yeah. is like fireworks. It's like just the two perfect combinations. <laughs> and both <laughs> yeah. of them kind of really converted me to try the high-carb, unprocessed, plant-based diet and kind of take out the nut butters, take out the avocado with a lot of my meals. I still eat some fat and they still eat some fat. You have to eat fat. It's not like you can have zero grams of fat a day, but keeping it low, the lower you can get it, like below 30 grams is what they say to people, between 20 and 30 grams a day, which is very easy to reach. (laughs) Um, 
that is when you see the insulin sensitivity increase dramatically. Hmm. Okay, those are really good resources for all of us to check out. And myself, I'm going to play around with this fat thing a little bit more and see if I can trim that away and, and see what happens. I've been chipping away for a while, so I'm going to keep that going. I will How many not. grams I will of be fat eating do cheese. you need a day? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say, you know, I don't know a specific, I wouldn't say a specific number of grams of fat, but I, maybe a couple of tablespoons of almond butter and half an avocado maybe in a day. Would be it. Okay. Um, That's still you know, maybe, probably maybe like a handful grams. of trail mix. Yeah, and that's a, that's a pretty solid. And for me, you know, I was doing some running, I was cycling a lot. I was like, I need to get this stuff in my body just so I can, you know, continue to have enough calories. But I, I yeah. like you're talking about with the protein powder. When I took the protein powder out, I could uh, I could just replace that stuff with more carbs or more oats. And I felt fine. Like, I never even noticed a difference not having the protein powder around. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so my question about the protein powder. I mean, like, I just introduced, like, two months ago, hemp protein powder that I put in my breakfast smoothie. So you're saying cut out things like that? Is that the same thing? Um, no. No. This is using I, fat. Hemp protein powder is relatively low in fat. I, I would say I okay. have... A, tea, a teaspoon every two to three days of raw hemp protein powder just because I'm not eating a lot of protein in general, but I don't track my protein. Right, right. I think because I don't need to, like I've never felt, oh, apart from when I first went vegan and didn't have the knowledge, but since like I've kind of tidied up my diet, protein to me is not a concern unless you're really, really active and you're not eating any natural protein sources like rice, oats, green vegetables, then yes, you can add a, like it's not going to hurt to add a little bit of hemp protein, but some of the other like soy proteins, they're really processed. You're going to want to avoid those. Um, But it's Mm. not like an alert on my radar. I'll make sure I have enough protein. Right. Right. Because that's always the first question that we get. You know, where do you get your protein? Right. I tried to explain um, veganism and eating more fruit and everything to my mom this morning. And she just was completely dumbfounded by the situation. I'm like, well, mom, you know, we all have diabetes and we're given this, you know, we're all lumped into one category. But everybody, we're all figuring out for ourselves what's going to be best for our bodies. And it may be very different from the other person. So, yeah. So I applaud you for really taking note of how your dietary choices and lifestyle choices have greatly affected your diabetes. That's huge. And vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely helps. And it just makes life like the less highs and lows you have, like the less roller coaster, you can enjoy your life so much more. Like to me, it's not a sacrifice. <laughs> oh I'm not, yeah. I'm not <laughs> right. sacrificing my life. Like I'm enjoying it and I'm like, okay, oh, diabetes is yeah. not stressing me out. I'm not worried all the time thinking, oh, it's going to go high, it's going to go low. It's, I don't know what it's like. It's going to be unpredictable. If you can predict it, then it's so much less stressful and you can just get oh, on with yeah. your life and I can exercise. I can go for long runs. I'm not stressed that my sugar level is going to go crazy because I can predict what's going to happen. Oh, that's great. Hmm. 
And that just didn't happen overnight. You know, you built some habits, um, which, yeah, it's pretty impressive, no doubt. So now I'd like to shift into running. All right. Mm -hmm. So running is obviously another one of these big, big factors that uh, we put into our lives. And oftentimes I think, you know, people with diabetes can sometimes be fearful of activity because like you were saying, it, it can make you go low. Sometimes it can make you go high. How have you been able to incorporate running into your life full time? Um, a lot of trial and error. There is no question that I had many frustrating times, even recently. And you're like, <laughs> why is this happening? Why is my blood sugar level going high after every run right. that's longer than an hour? I'm like, what is going on? And I would get so frustrated. And then I was like, okay, if this is going to happen. And there is no explanation, or I knew the reason why, because they have adrenaline and hormones running through your body, which increased your blood glucose level. I was like, I need to just find an approach so I can deal with it, which was when you, like, test your blood when you're training, when you're training. I would test it all the time when I was running to see when it would go high, and it mostly went high. It would be perfect the whole run, around 90. I could easily run on 90 for an hour, my blood sugar level wouldn't drop, it wouldn't rise. And then the minute I stopped exercising, it would just start to shoot up. So I would actually give two units of insulin one mile before I'd finish my run, which would be like on a training run, eight to nine minutes. So then pretty much by the time I'm finishing exercising, slowly walking for 10 minutes, the insulin is starting to then act in my body to stop the high, I'd put an increased tent basil on for two or three hours after I run, and that was all trial and error. Nice. If I didn't, I would still be having these crazy highs after I run. That's, yeah, that seems to be, you know, something that only happens to me when I run longer distances, too. Like you're saying, I mean, that, that usually doesn't happen to me if I run a 5K or a 10K, but if I, yeah, I'm with you. If I run for like an hour or two hours, that post-run high is big time. And it's usually a big high. I didn't expect it. You know, it's like, I just ran for two hours. Shouldn't my blood sugar still right. be going low? That's yeah. Why walking science I would project. get the it's, same. It's... <laughs> would, my... You'd get the same. Hmm. Yes. I would like, and you'd go to 300 and you're like, okay, I can't eat for an hour because my blood sugar level's at 300 and I'm starving. Like, what am I going to eat? And I used to just oh, yeah. make like a bowl of steamed kale and I'm sitting there going, I really don't want to be eating cow right now. I'm so hungry. And that was so frustrating. But you're like, and I didn't want to stop running. And I, because that's like one of my obsessions. So I was like, how do I deal with that? And so even like when I ran the New York Marathon, my sugar levels were like, I tested four times or five times during the race. And the highest it went was like maybe 170. And the lowest it went was, 75, so it was in pretty good range the uh -huh. whole time. Uh, the minute awesome. I finished it, yeah. I gave like two units of insulin and put on an increased temp table. And at that stage, I was so hungry. So I was like, I don't care. I'm a juice generation. This juice shop in New York. I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting the biggest smoothie. I'm going to get vegan donuts. Oh, yeah. And my sugar levels, they went high. They went to probably like around <laughs> 300 because not because of the food, because I gave enough insulin for that, but because of the adrenaline that was going through my body post-marathon. Mm -hmm. um, but then it came down. I find that within like two hours, it generally will come down. 
and within six hours, I probably will have a low if I don't put on a decrease yeah. in basal oh, yeah. or give less insulin. So it's just trying to figure out. Nice. Yeah. Predict what's going to happen. Like you've got to do a lot of trial and error, and you're going to get a lot of errors in there. I've always said if you're going to run end, a marathon and you've got to go through the di- the training, you got to get your body ready. Your diabetes training is going along with the marathon the entire time because you have to learn too, the an entire new way of managing diabetes if you're going to run a marathon or something like that. Which is it's just trial and error. Like yeah, saying. that's the most important. I've finished half marathons. Well, I've been run, I've ran half marathons. I, I ran the Brooklyn half. I didn't test my blood the whole race because I was just trying to run as fast as possible, which was stupid. I thought I was low. I ate glucose tablets. <laughs> and then I finished on like 350. And I was like, that is why I felt horrible for the second half of the race because my sugar level was so high. Probably, I don't know. It could have been the whole time. And I was like, I need to start testing my blood. Like I need to just deal with it. And during trial training runs, I'd trial running and testing my blood so I didn't have to stop. So like, and it paid off in the end for my marathon, definitely. So testing your blood is key. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> While running, I'm sure is hard. It's a, it's a very <laughs> good technique where you better yeah. like do one step at a time. You take out your meter, you take out a, glue, you take out a test strip, you put it in the meter. Then you, put, I put the little um, packet of test strips in my sports bra temporarily. Then I prick my finger, test my blood. Yeah. Then I have to, whatever that number is, okay. Then I put the, put everything individually back into my waist belt. So it's a little bit of a process and trying to like look ahead so you don't run mm. into anyone and also look where you're like putting the blood on the test strip. A little bit tricky, <laughs> but. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> Thank you for the sports bra. That was the definite advantage yeah. over Ryan. Maybe <laughs> we could start. He could exactly. start wearing a sports bra. Maybe that's what needs to happen. It's, uh, yeah, it it would be worth it just to test the blood sugar. That's for sure. Yeah, I haven't ran a long race yet with the CGM on. But I'm kind of I'm excited yeah. to run a race again or do a long ride yeah, with the CGM. That would be very interesting. That'll be, that'll that, be different. The only thing sure. I think is like CGMs are like hmm. five minutes away, or is that not the case anymore? I don't know. I don't have one myself. Yeah, I don't either. I'm a, thinking about doing a trial here pretty soon, and, and I'll be sure to document it. Any reason why you don't um, have a CGM? I, I was very hesitant to go on the pump five years ago, maybe a little bit more when I did, just because I didn't want something attached to me. Um, and I have that same oh, yeah. mental challenge with the CGM. I'm like, I don't want, I already have a pump. I don't want something else. And oh, yeah. I expect like it's a little bit more chunky. Like if I wear jeans, you can see it. And I'm just, it's very superficial reasons. I think I will get one when I go back to Australia, just because I think my management will improve incredibly i need to just get over that issue in my head um but i have good control when i just test my blood and i do test a lot like 10 times a day easily um but i can get an a1c below six with just testing my blood so i think that also is not like a strong motivator to get a cgm i think i will eventually it's just not top of my priority list well i'm 
Well, I got to tell you, I'm very similar to you on that and wrote about it in the very beginning of the Diabetes Daily Grind um, about, um, I think it was called handcuffed in a pump prison because I did not want to be attached to something like it freaks me out. Still, I, I give shots, multiple daily injections and, um, and test my blood sugar as well. And so this trial that I'm going to do for like a week or so, a blind trial, I'm very curious to see A, if I can get past the fact that something's attached to me, but B, you know, I feel like I have a good handle on my blood sugar, but in the middle of the night, I have no idea. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted on on how it goes. Maybe we can do this together because it's, it's, because going on the pump for me, when I went on the pump, I was like, uh, I wish I did this years ago. Like, this is the best thing. Like, it's especially with when you do a lot of exercise. Oh, so don't say that. It really helps. Well, I do not, but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Wow. And maybe that'll inspire other people to give it a shot. So everybody's different. Yeah, everybody's different. Lots yeah. Of, lots of options for sure. All right, last thing we talk about today, Amy, before we, we let you go, and maybe we bring you on another show, is you got to tell us about OneBloodyDrop.com. Yeah. I mean, this project is amazing. I'm hoping. It's really exciting. I'm actually excited because this weekend is the first race. So I'll give you a little bit of background. So Paul Coker is from the UK. He's type 1 diabetic. Um, and he's also vegan, high carb, low fat. He is celebrating his 40th year with type 1 diabetes. So he decided to crazy challenge of running right. 40 half marathons in his 40th year of type 1 diabetes and to raise awareness, to raise money, wow. to like obviously do this challenge for himself. Um, he said, like, he's never felt better since changing his diet. His diabetes improved. So he just really kind of wants to celebrate everything and raise awareness. And so he decided to recruit a few other crazy type 1 diabetic athletes, including myself, Cyrus, who I mentioned before, and this other woman, Jules. And she doesn't have diabetes, but she follows a high-carb low-fat diet, and she has diabetes in her family. So she's like a big advocate. So basically, where Paul's support crew, he's going to be running 40 official half marathons throughout Europe. We're not going to be running every 40 of those half marathons officially. We're just going to be each time or each weekend that he has to run them, we will run that same distance and write about it like I'll be running in Latin America so I can kind of write some crazy places that I run um, Jules and Cyrus live in the US on the west coast so they can write about running in San Francisco and in LA um, so we're kind of doing this as a way to hopefully inspire type 1 diabetics that you can do a lot of exercise you can manage your diabetes like you doesn't stop you from doing anything you want and also just for the general population to raise awareness of type 1 diabetes so we're really excited it's a little bit overwhelming to pretty much on average two half marathons a month so it's going to be a lot of running I feel like I may retire after (laughs) afterwards Um, but I'm excited for the first run That's it's that's wow. You're dedicated. There is no doubt. 
it's so ambitious the whole project and you know when you hear about these things where you know one person does one of these big endurance events you're like oh yeah it's just one person like that's great but that person's you know unique but because you guys have you have four of you on the team and three of you have type one I think that's I just think that's really cool that there's a group of type ones doing this or participating in some way. Um, and we're yeah, very trying cool. to recruit cool. more type one diabetics who wanna do a guest run or who wanna run in their town, wink wink to support us. Um, <laughs> very like <laughs> <laughs> So if people go to the website they can All right, so if somebody if somebody <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's great. Is it on yeah, the, the one, uh, one Bloody Drop? Com, so it's the number one the, Bloody Drop. Okay. And there, like, it just gives the background information on why yeah. we're doing the challenge, what it involves, how you can, and how people can become involved, whether they donate money to diabetes, whether they, they can sign up to run one event, like an official race, or they can just run in their hometown and then kind of publish that on their social media. Like, there's plenty of ways for people to get involved or even just read about it. Pretty cool. Oh, that's great. It looks like it's pretty simple too. If you want to run and try to join, all you have to do is just sign up through your Strava account. You're in. And you're in. Very straight That's really cool. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, we will certainly keep track of One Bloody Drop's um, progress throughout the project. And we'll be sure to to retweet and keep everybody posted on that on that on that project. And we'd love to actually have you write about it maybe midway through and just jot down your experience of what it's been like yeah. to run that much. Oh and yeah. How your body's doing, what you've learned about the diabetes management mid race. And uh, yeah, so we, we'd love sure to hear from to you later on. And I'll be posting like on my social media updates as well, um on each of my runs and I think each run one of us is gonna post like our experience for that marathon, that half marathon. So we'll be like publishing like some newsletters and posts on the website. So we'll definitely have plenty of updates coming your way. Ah, yeah. And there's so much good data too about people with diabetes running. You guys are going to be putting out so much good data just for other runners to learn about. Hopefully, that's what we want to do. We kind of want to like try and inspire people that – Nothing like you, you can do it. I had a doctor once tell me you can never take a spin class because you have type one diabetes. I was like, okay, I won't be listening to your advice. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going straight to the gym. <laughs> hey, and that's what we're all about. We just want people to live their most authentic lives, chase down whatever dreams they've got, because it's all possible. Yeah, that's what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, you're doing it. We're doing it. Lots of other people are doing it too. So. It's a, it's a movement for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, Amy, we hope to, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be stalking you on all of your social media. We'll be sure to link that, um, with this podcast in our show notes. And, um, we wish you the best. I mean, I'm so excited to hear the rest of your journey and hope you'll blog about it. Um, we'll gladly share any of that information because I know people want to hear about your trip throughout. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a privilege. And good luck with no more Good luck with no more uh, parasites, flu, anything. <laughs> we want you to be in the best of health so you get to run and enjoy the next three months 
fully. <laughs> and continue the Central American conquest. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, have a lovely evening, and we will stalk you Thank soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we need to start making these people sign a royalties contract. <laughs> All these people were making famous. You know, just the other day, you know, Super Tuesday Eve, you know, I was watching a sit-down interview with Donald Trump. Someone asked him, you know, where he got his first boost of confidence, and he said it was here at the iTunes review of the week. I mean, really, we're, we're that... I don't want to know why you were listening to anything Trump, but yeah. Why not? <laughs> kidding, I'm not outing myself as a Trump supporter. Maybe I am. Oh, no, or how are we friends? I just told you I'm not okay. outing myself. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, Let's keep them, we'll just keep some mystery yeah. about who I'm supporting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here it is. The iTunes review of the week. Five stars. This one comes from Mellowman102. Here it goes. Enjoy the show, and it is nice to hear people talk about living with diabetes and not how to survive. This podcast is a lighthearted approach at the disease, and that is why I return every time I see a new episode on my list. Oh, yay. Yeah, real cool. Hey, we thanks, Mellow Man. And we don't know this person, so we didn't pay anybody for that. That's it's awesome. It is, yeah. This is, this is a, a foreign one. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, Mellow Man, reach out. Hit us up. Info at diabetesdailygrind.com. We'll send you a t-shirt. Yeah, let us know what size. Um, and for all of you out there, just know that they're being ordered. I promise you will get a t-shirt. And maybe something from Ryan's Closet. <laughs> Potpourri. <laughs> you get all kinds of stuff. Okay. A coffee mug. So if you're interested in getting these podcasts as soon as they come out. <laughs> Potpourri. I mean. <laughs> well, potpourri is like a lot of things together at one time. You know. Thank you. you Did you that learn term? that in medical school? Yes, I know what potpourri no, it's is. It's like it's a pop culture term. Oh my god. Okay, I'm sorry. Go. Okay, if if you too have used the word potpourri to talk please about tell us why. Once, <laughs> save me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I was trying to say is that subscribing on iTunes is the fastest, easiest way to get the next podcast straight to your phone. Stitcher and TuneIn are also awesome um, if you're one of those Android folks out there. Um, I personally, I use TuneIn all the time just because I think their interface is better. It's pretty good. Uh, check those out. And uh, again, big thanks as always to the 405 Brewing founder, Jonathan Stapleton, for all of our editing, <laughs> audio work. He's the, man. He's the he, man. Today, he was quoted saying, I make things happen. And you know what? Damn right he does. He does make, he does make things happen. <laughs> and he yeah. tolerates us. And he makes pretty good beer happen. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Okay. We'd love to connect if you're one of those social folks. Uh, hit us up at diabetesdailygrind.com or at diabetesgrind on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow Amy if you're interested in seeing her travels, continuing this conquest. Check her out on Instagram at vegamy. That's V-E-G-A-M-Y. Cool. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Way to good time. It's everybody living their best life out there with diabetes. We say cheers to the highs and lows. See you later. That's a wrap. A little thing called diabetes is a day